Hey, welcome to the best small business in the world podcast. You're here with Matt Fitzsimmons. I'm Scritty McKee, and we are going to take you through accountability. Accountability is not a dirty word, and it doesn't have to be rife with conflict. Okay, so we're going to break that down for you and uh, help you out with it. How are you doing, Matt? I'm good. I'm great, mate. Not as nice as you. Hawaii looks beautiful behind you, mate. It looks fantastic. Well, that's I'm, a picture I'm, from another day, but yes. <laughs> it's kind of jealous there, mate. Yeah, I was thinking, well, he's doing something right if he's in Hawaii talking to me from there. Fantastic. Um, isn't this an interesting subject, though? Uh, accountability. And um, I was going through my notes, and I have this big flip pad where I put all my notes down and then just flip it over and, and you know have another blank sheet of paper. And there was that accountability is not a dirty word thing there. And right. so many people actually are afraid of it as a, as a concept and, and they have a misconception as to what it actually is. And you see this all the time. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I had a, I'll, I'll tell you about it in a minute, but I had a client um, two days ago um, kind of freak out a little bit because he's got a new role as a sales manager and uh, yeah, he just didn't like the word because he thought it meant bashing people over the head for a living. And I said, well, it doesn't have to be if you don't want it to be. You know, I mean, you can if you want to. You won't be very good at your job or anything, but, you know, don't let that get right. away. Um, but um, there's actually, you know, there's actually many ways of doing accountability. And I think we're, we're, we're normally taught accountability when something goes wrong. And I think that's right. possibly our, our where our misconception actually comes from. Um you know, people. Um, when you when you do something wrong, you get held accountable, and you, you know, you you are held accountable for your misdeeds and and that sort of thing. Whereas you can be held accountable for nailing that big account for doing something fantastic, mm-hmm. and you can be held accountable by someone sitting there going, "Well done, mate. That's fantastic. What did you do then to 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 make that that great outcome happen? That's accountability as much as anything. Well, and it- you know, let's let's go with the things gone wrong though, because I think that's where a lot of the fear comes in. People get concerned about. Well, I run into this all the time, right? Even with people I'm talking to about potentially engaging or buying the book or whatever, they they interpret management or or this idea of accountability as the enforcer, and you know we're not trying to get you to be the traffic cop, you know, or to be the dean's office or the principal's office or whatever, right? It's, but that those are our encounters. And a lot of times when we're at work, if we've met with the boss, it's usually over something gone wrong, right? Something has to be fixed or corrected or what have you, or it's the annual review where you're going to get told they don't have enough money to, you know, give you a raise and it's anxiety ridden and all that, right? So we've got all this baggage uh, about these meetings with your boss. And then when you're turning around and we're helping people to kind of, get in their head, they need to have meetings with their direct reports, they freak out because they're reflecting back on all those bad meetings they've had. And let's face it, there's a lot of bad management out there, right? A lot of bad managers and we've, we've all had them. And, you know, the thing is, we, you know, and none of us want to be that guy, right? And we, and we don't, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, that's okay. But I think there's a fear of, Oh, if I if I meet with somebody and I'm gonna hold them quote unquote accountable, then I'm gonna be that guy. You don't have to be, right? This is why I love the sports analogy so much and this idea of the coach. We went into that last time quite a bit, but you know, the idea of 
have you ever had a good coach or have your kids ever had a really good coach? Good coaches hold people accountable, right? But they do so from a position of support and wanting you to be your best, wanting you to succeed, right? So we use that as more of a role model modeling uh, profile versus some of these horrible managers we've all had. Yeah. And I think, you know what, I, I think there's, there's a generation of people coming through. So I'm, I'm a Gen, Gen Xer, right? I was born in 1970. And in 1970, um, what my father, who was my reference point for um, for finding out what, what managers were, because he would talk about the managers that he would work for and that sort of thing. Right. Like, you know, you'd, you'd get yelled at. I mean, I had a yeah. client years ago. He would joke that he would throw a hammer at someone's head if they did something wrong. And if you saw a hammer coming, you're obviously making a mistake. And and then we all kind of laughed at it. And he said, no, no, I really would throw a hammer. And sometimes I hit. <laughs> so yeah. health and safety laws are not in New Zealand what they are in the United States. Okay? So, well, they're not um, the same today as they were in the 70s either. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, back in those days, there wasn't an understanding of the way that people actually work. Psychology from an organizational perspective wasn't really studied like it is now. Now we have really good understandings of how to motivate people and how to how to hold them accountable in the best way. And and you know it's it's the simple stuff that the book goes through. I mean, it's like setting a vision for where you want to take the business, and it's setting goals, and it's making sure that everyone gets buy-in. And then your job as a manager is to get everything out of the way that those people are, are, are encountering that just allows them to do their job. And then if they're going to do their job, most people who are reasonably good at their job probably know when they've stuffed up and they probably know right. when things haven't gone well. So you don't have to sit there and go, yeah, you stuffed up, mate. You don't have to do that. They probably already know that. So maybe that accountability doesn't actually need to be, I need to tell you you've done something wrong. I need to talk about something like that and then find out, okay, what caused that to happen and how can we fix that so you can be better at your job? Or even even better, hey, you did something fantastically well. What did you do? Talk us through it. How fantastic was that? Let's do more of that. Let's figure out what you did that was so effective and let's do more of that. That's accountability too. Well, and offering to help. You know, one of the ways that we, we get better accountability from people is by modeling it ourselves. So, you know, we re reference these meetings that you have one-on-one, -on -one, not group, uh, don't do group meetings. Um, you can go to my blog, I just ranted about it. But the, uh, you know, stop doing group meetings if you're doing that, do one-on-one -on -one because everybody needs something different. And there's nothing you can provide your team that is more powerful than your undivided attention. Okay, that's one thing that gets overlooked over and over. You go to, I'm going to this conference later this week, they're going to talk about the Disney experiences and all the gimmicks and the birthday cards and the da da da. For you know, and, and I get why they're doing it because we're in an atmosphere, we're in an environment. The latest research is 64% of American employees are disengaged at work, right? Yeah. I mean, only a third of people are actually actively engaged. That's insane. Imagine here's my kind of my new purpose, right? Imagine a world where everybody was happy at work, right? Or at least six, two thirds, right? We flip the script, two thirds are happy at work. Would that be a different place, you know, than where we are today? Would, would it just be nicer to walk outside and go to, a, you know, go to a restaurant or to a coffee shop or to a brew pub or 
you know, the auto mechanic or you name it, right? It's going to be a different experience if employees are actively engaged. And when you meet with these folks and you promise to help them and do things and you agree to whatever deliverable you have and you come back and do that, it's now an agreement between two people. It's not a manager and subordinate. It's not top down. It's working together collaboratively to get to get stuff done. Yeah. I've got an example of how that plays out, but in a slightly different sphere. So, so bear with me. I'll explain something. So um, um, I took my partner out um, on, a, on a date. Um, well, it was the week before last. Um, and she always notices um, the little things. And so I took her out. We, I, I picked her up. We, um, we went out. Went to a nice restaurant. It was it was really cool. And she goes, "Where's your cell phone?" Now, as it happens, my cell phone has this little detachable thing that has my cards on it. So I've got my phone and I got my cards. And I left my phone in the car. And she goes, "Oh, where's your phone?" And I said, "Oh, do you want me to put it in my purse?" So she put it in her purse, so I don't have to carry it. And because I'm big dorky things these days, and they take up my back pocket. And I said, "No, no, I'm good." And she goes, "Where's your phone?" I said, "I don't have it with me." And she goes, "Oh, okay." Now she does have her phone with her because she's got four kids and she needs to be contactable if something were to happen. They're all a bit sure. old enough. It's not really an issue. So, but um, I didn't need my phone. So I said, I'm not here to be on my phone. I'm here to actually be with you. And what that said to her, I'm not sure what, what I was like, I was just trying to say, I respect you and I respect the time that we have together. What she heard was, wow, that's pretty cool. Here's a guy actually saying, I'm going to give you my complete undivided attention. Yeah. And the, the nature of that conversation that we had that night over dinner was fantastic because she wasn't she wasn't there in between messages. She was right. the only thing in the room. And I think managers could possibly learn a little bit about that because the dynamic of that conversation that night was entirely different. Now she couldn't not have her cell phone because obviously the kids, but right. I didn't I didn't need my phone. I mean, like it was like a Wednesday night or something, you know. I mean. Like um, my daughter may have called, but not going to be an issue. Um, so it was it was cool, but the dynamic was different because the dynamic and everything that I said, body language and everything said, you're the most important person in the whole wide world right now, which is why there's no other distractions. It's just you. Imagine if a manager said that to an employee, how that employee would feel knowing that the boss, the head honcho, my supervisor, the person who's in charge of looking after me, said that I'm the most important person in the world at this at this moment. Well, the, the, so the first time they might think something's up, right? <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying, to, trying to figure out what are you what are you up to? What are you doing? Right. Yeah. But but that's what comes with repetition. That's why we do these things fairly regularly, right? If you do them regularly, then you've you you're changing. The culture, you're changing the dynamic, you know, you're creating a more supportive, more um, collaborative, you know, environment for your team. And ultimately, that's right back to that coaching model. The coach wins when the players win. When the players are successful, the team does better, right? And, but how many times have you dealt with managers where they don't see it that way? They don't act that way. They they laud and laud over and lord their power and hold back information and all these kind of dysfunctional, crazy ass things, man, that just don't make any logical sense. But again, we're dealing with people, so it's not logical, right? But imagine if you could have a team where they wanted to meet with you, 
Okay, so here, Matt, we've got the picture of Hawaii here, right? Um, I was in Hawaii for a month uh, at one point, came back and didn't have the meetings with my team scheduled, my, my managers um, in my business, right? And after a week or two, they started coming to me and saying, hey, when are we going to meet again? And I was of the mindset, and this is quite some time ago, right? But I was of the mindset that I was giving them a break, right? Okay. That, you know, my, I'd get back to it. I, you know, didn't really know. I guess I was still carrying a lot of that emotional baggage from, you know, my meetings with managers and what have you in the past, right? And, uh, and I'm like, I'm just kind of going to give them some space. They were asking for the meetings. They were asking when we we're going to get them back on the schedule. And I'm like, you, you really, you guys really like these? They're like, yeah, absolutely. We need these. Why are we not meeting? Yeah. That's when I knew I was doing something right, right? That's when I knew that things had had a fundamental shift. And, um, you know, what I had been attempting to do was actually working, right? Yeah. Isn't that funny, though? Because in that moment, you were thinking, I'll give them a break. They were thinking, actually, hang on a second, mate. I really want to. I, I want to. Right. I want to get back on track because I'm. I'm getting a lot out of these meetings. And you know what's interesting? Because this is what I encourage my clients to do, and and, and you probably do exactly the same. The one-on-one -on -one meetings that um, my managers or the people who who, or who I work with, and they and the people that work with them, it's actually not the managers' meeting. It's actually the start the team members' meeting. It's their right. meeting. It's their meeting right. with their boss. It's not about the manager. It's about them. And the focus right. is always not, let me tell you what I want you to do. It's a case of how can I help you doing what you do? Exactly. So, and it comes back to this very simple concept, which I wrote up for a client of mine ages ago. It's not <laughs> about you. No, really. It's not no, about you in big giant letters. <laughs> exactly. Just a sign yeah. I bring out. And, and, Often we're, you know, we're put in management positions and we're thinking, oh, it's about us. It's my job to, to make the business run. Actually, no, it's your team's job. It's your job to help right. them do what they do, which makes make the business run. Uh, it's not about you. It's about them. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're taught that we're supposed to drive results, right? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. not, we're, we're not driving, right? Yes. We're supporting, we're helping, we're serving. You know, if the, the the players are the ones that are driving, they're they're you know again, go back to the field the you know field the analogy. If I'm out there running around middle infield fielding the balls as the coach, that that has so many things wrong with it, right? You and you would wonder what the coach was doing if you were a spectator observer, right? But what are the kids in middle infield thinking, right? Do they think they're good enough? You know, they say sometimes you hire the best people and get out of the way. There's something to that, but you don't just get out of the way. You also are there to help them and support them and make sure, you know, they have like whatever they need to succeed, whether that's yeah. their events, whether that's training, whether that's a breath, you know, a moment away, whatever it is. But how can, how can I help you be the best player in your position? That brings up another thing. What if they don't want to be, right? Hmm. So sometimes we pick people who just their mindset isn't there. They're not trying to be the best in their position. And if that's the case, you know, you have to really kind of consider that. Is that the right person for your team? Yeah. Yeah. 
and 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 that's all subjective in the sandpit that they they choose to play in. Somebody who doesn't want to necessarily be be the best admin person in the entire world is, but they want to be a good admin person. They want to be solid, reliable, that sort of thing. In their sandpit, that might be what you need, and that right. might be the comfort zone. If you've well, got a, a PT working with the highest uh, the, the highest level of of sports performance for a professional um, 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 athletic team. Well, that might be a different story because you know you do want the person who is going to be have a desire to be the best in the world, um, right? So, but the, 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 so the way I break it down is, um, what's the most important process that they do that they operate, right? And do they want to do that? And you know, do they want to do that well? And again, they don't necessarily have to be the best in the world at it, but they need to be proficient, they need to be competent, they need to have a desire to do it and understand how it contributes to the success of the team, right? And you can, again, let's use a baseball analogy. If you're a catcher and you don't want to block balls with your body, right, block pitches and stop the ball, that, you know, if you're dodging out of the way as catcher, you don't get to play catcher. That's That's part of the job. I mean, that's a big part of the job. Yeah. So, you know, you start breaking these things down and going, okay, so someone who answers the phones, their their job is to book new clients, new customers, new patients, right? That's the most important thing they do, because if they don't do that, there is all the list of, you know, 18 other things I'll tell you that they do that are really, really important. None of those happen if there are no new customers. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Without those customers, not much happens. Right. So if they, you know, you can make it really simple. And I got to the point where I would hand that process to people in during the interview. Take a look at this. What do you think? Are you cool with doing that seven times a day, every day? Are you going to get a kick out of it? Yeah. And then, you know, hopefully the answer is like, yes, of course, that's the job, right? Yeah, I'd love to do that. That sounds pretty um, cool. Yeah, we should we should do right. lots of that. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, fantastic. Right. right. But if they're looking at it going, oh, well, I didn't know this is what we were supposed to, you know, right? You're like, oh, well, this probably isn't the right person for the job. The other thing is, you know, when you do that in an interview process, right? Again, this is accountability. You're getting them to agree that that number one most important thing is something they're actually going to do every day, right? Mm-hmm. So if they agree to do that in the hiring process interview, how easy is it to hold them accountable? Hey, you know, Matt, I thought you were going to be answering the phones and doing this. Yeah, that's what we agreed to during the interview. And they ought to say, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Right? Not, right, right, right. Not, oh, well, yeah, I just didn't think it was that important or something. Well, what? <laughs> were you not listening? <laughs> Right. But you also have people that are polite during the interview. This frustrates a lot of, a lot of founders, a lot of owners, right? A lot of managers. Um, they're, well, they said everything right, and then they didn't call back, right? Or they said, no, I took another job. Right. That's okay. Because yeah. you gave them the most important thing, and they, you know, they knew what the right answer was, but they don't want to do it. Yeah. The, the only bad hire is the wrong person. A bad hire is not everyone pulled out. You've got no one. No one is not a bad hire. Um, like your analogy, it's frustrating. Oh, it's it's frustrating. But your <laughs> dragon boat analogy is absolutely right. Would you rather have nine people pulling in one direction, or nine people pulling in one direction and one going the other way? Well, I'd rather have an empty seat. Right. 
I'd rather right. have an empty seat than, than a, a seat with someone going the wrong direction or putting everybody off. No, it's right. better to hire nobody and struggle through than, than have that person who's going to destroy the um, the rest of the boat. Um, right. I, love that for the right... I love that dragon boat. Yeah, keep looking for the right people. So yeah, because you want you want you want synergy, you want alignment, you want people working for the you know the reasons that your business exists. Yeah. Right. Not just to make more money. There, there's a reason beyond that that your business exists. Yeah, it's 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 very, very true. And that dragon bite analogy, I, I think that's a really great metaphor for understanding like what a team can do. I'd rather have nine people pulling in one direction than, than nine and one and one in the other way because that person who's pushing the other way is going to unsettle everybody else. Absolutely. Um, and and over the last couple of years, we've seen how difficult it is to hire um, a lot of a lot of really high quality staff. I mean, where I am in New Zealand and certainly uh, in the Asia Pacific, we've had a lot of people who have come over here. Um, to work and then what they do is they, they come over here from um, a whole bunch of other countries, send money home or go on a working holiday and that sort of thing. And they haven't been able to do it because of COVID lockdowns and all that mm. type of stuff. And and so they've had to take whoever they could get. And there's a lot of businesses who are sitting there going, gee, I, I wouldn't hire these people if I had the choice. And they don't have the choice, so they've had to hire them. And some of them have come right, to be fair, to give them credit. But a lot of them are still really on, on the wrong seat of the bus or on the wrong bus completely. So, yeah. you know, you, you can't always do it. But I'd rather have a team full of superstars um, than, you know, one person in there upsetting the whole thing. It only takes one drop to poison a well. That's right. So yeah, if you're not familiar with the dragon boats and you're listening to this, go ahead and you know Google dragon boat and image and take a look. Um, I think you'll you'll get a bit out of it. We talk about the three types of work at the breakdown there too. Um, but yeah, if you have somebody who's not only not paddling but actively <laughs> disrupting or drilling holes in the boat or whatever, you you know <laughs> better better have an NTC. And then that person, you know, sabotaging the rest of the team. So, okay. you know what, well, what's, been, what's been really encouraging, though, just, just on that dragon boat and, and just to think about that, oh. over the last couple of years, what we've seen is a tremendous amount of innovation in so much oh. as the way that businesses are structured and organized and that sort of thing because of labor shortages. So labor has become more expensive and there's been a shortage of skilled labor, certainly in a lot of the countries that I deal with. Um, and, and not in every industry, but certainly in, in, in a bunch of industries. And what I've seen and what I continue to see, which is so encouraging, is people outthinking the problem by doing more than just throwing labor at it. In the past, you can just throw labor at the problem and it'll it'll be sort of swept under the carpet and you know, you'll get by. But now you can't do that so much. And for the last couple of years, people have been thinking of, um, of, of changing what they offer based on what they know that they can supply at the right level mm -hmm. of quality and service and that sort of thing. So what you're seeing is just innovation in the business world saying, well, I can't be all these things to all these people. I'm going to be this and I'm going to be, still be world-class at that thing that I do. Uh, I'm just mm -hmm. not going to do that peripheral stuff that the extra staff would be handy to do, but I can't actually do it. So maybe, you know, if you can't hire the right people and, and, and hey, you know, who knows if you can or can't, every business is different. But if you can't, maybe take a look at um, what you're doing and how you're doing it and what else could you do that would just make the most efficient use of the team that you have and, and you know, 
again, going back to accountability and setting up a vision that's that's achievable given the economic and, and employment conditions that you actually find yourself in. Yeah, well, cool. Well, thanks everybody for listening today. Um, great conversation, Matt, love the insights. And, and again, He's holding up the sign. It's not about you. It's about them. I hold that. I hold that up in meetings all the time. It's really good. It's like every time anyone gets carried away, it's just like, hang on a second, I've got something for you. Awesome. Well, great talking to everybody. All right, you too.